Romans 8, verse 18 to 30. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that has seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it in patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who God loves, all things work together for good. Sorry, I read that wrongly. And for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. May the Lord help us to understand this portion of his word and to his name be glory and honor. So then from Romans chapter 8 verses 18 to 30, I bring you the Bible message this morning under this heading, the intercession of the Holy Spirit. The intercession of the Holy Spirit and I've given it a, a subheading, Assurance Between Now and Eternity. The intercession of the Holy Spirit, the assurance we have between now and eternity. If you look at the Bible once again to the end of that previous paragraph that we looked at last time, it talks about the Holy Spirit that 
because of the mercies and because of the salvation in Jesus Christ, He, the Holy Spirit, teaches us in our hearts and bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We looked at that and we rejoiced in the fact that if we are children of God, we are also heirs of the kingdom of Christ and we have our Lord Jesus Christ as we uh, use the words used by Dr. Arsis Pro that we have an elder brother, our Lord Jesus Christ. What, our name is written on the will of our Father. That's what it says there. And that's what the Holy Spirit does now. The Holy Spirit applied to us the, the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ so that in our hearts we can understand that. Now, if I may jump to the end of this paragraph that we've read this morning, verse 29 and 30, so that we can understand what is it that the Holy Spirit applied to us, what is written about in the past tense in the Bible. So sure is it that it's actually written in the past tense. It is as if it is a done deal in the eyes of God. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. In order that he, that is Christ, may be the firstborn among the many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called and those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You see, it's all past tense. In that sense that what God planned from all eternity to do was done in the Lord Jesus Christ and is now applied by the Spirit in our hearts so that we know today if you're a child of God and you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you know that you've got the Holy Spirit testifying with your spirit that you are a child of God, these things are already true about you. Now, I would have loved to, and maybe I should one day, come back to these verses. Because when I actually decided to do this paragraph as a whole, and I worked through it, I realized, look, this is just too much for one sermon. So I won't spend too much time on this last bit. But it talks about being called, and we know that God calls through his word, and it is through his word that his spirit works, and his spirit uses the word of God as a way in which he washes us clean in the way that he brings us to the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the spirit is therefore the one who takes the word of God about Jesus Christ, declares that to us, applies it to our hearts so we can understand that. That's what God does through his spirit. He calls us through his word. But when he calls us, he calls us to tell us something that he had already planned in Christ. What is that? And that is that he, he, he predestined us 
to be like his son Jesus Christ. And how does that happen? His son Jesus Christ became like us without sin and he took our sin upon him and he is our righteousness and he stands before our Lord and only those who live in him, believe in him and trust in him will be covered in his righteousness and in that way we will be like him not that we try and endeavor to be like him like uh, uh, the roman church would like to think that we've got a righteousness in christ but we have to do our own bit to get that righteousness now we we have that by faith it's a given to us it's a gift and, and, and it says there that the Lord predestined us. He called us in his own way, according to his own purpose, not because of something that we have done, but because of what he has done in his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, grace that God, uh, was, was now given to us and given, given uh, that uh, manifestation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he justified us. What does that mean? Although we have a charge against us in terms of our sinful life and our sinful heart and our sinful ways, we are against God. We, the Bible calls us his enemy. We are actually born enemies of God. But Jesus Christ came into this world and he did what we couldn't do and he... he he worked out a way for us. He, he, he took the law of God and he completely fulfilled that in his righteous love, love. But he also took the charge that was against us because we couldn't do that upon himself. And he took the wrath of God away from us by taking it upon himself. And so the charge does not stand anymore for those who are Christians. You are justified in that sense that... The charge is taken away. The law with all the things against us as we hear there in, in Colossians chapter 2, that is nailed to the cross. The Lord Jesus said it is finished. It's done. He died for us. We are justified in him. That's a done deal. When we become Christians, when we put our faith in him, that's what happens. And whatever the devil would like to tell you about your life, it's not as good as it used to as it should be. And and, 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 and sometimes you you get angry and you say some things, and the devil is right there on your shoulder and says, Hmm, I thought you were a Christian. Hmm. You think you're gonna go to heaven with this? What do you say? What do you say? Lord, forgive me. But you look around the devil and say, look, I've got news for you. I am justified in the blood of Jesus. Although I'm not perfect and although I will fall and although I'll do sometimes the, the most impossible things that I thought I'd do, I'm justified in Christ. And therefore, verse 30 ends with this wonderful and the marvelous um, conclusion. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. You see, that's past tense. That is true. We are glorified in Christ Jesus at the throne of God. It is not something that you and I need to work for. It is not something that we have to strive for. It is not something that you and I would, would, would wonder about. It is a done deal in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It is a fact that we have to accept. And not only do we accept that, we rejoice in that. We've got a Lord, our intercessor, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he stands before us. And like he prayed in, in John chapter 17, that he would be glorified, he glorifies us now before the throne of God. How's that possible? That he would know me, that he would know your name, and he know us, and he know our weaknesses, and he know our shortcomings, and he know how we can fail, and yet in him we stand glorified before God. Okay, now that we've said that, and I've really just skipped across these, these things, we have to go back then, uh, verse 24. Sorry that I jump forwards and backwards, but I think that if we take it this way, we'll probably understand. Verse 24. In this hope, we were saved. All the things we just talked about, we were saved and we were given this hope. This hope is that one day we will see all these things as they really are at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are aware of the fact that although we are called, although we are predestined, although we are justified, and although we are already in principle glorified before God in, in the name of Jesus Christ, we know the reality of living in this world waiting for the day that we will really see what it, what it really entails. What the full thing is. We were saved, and when we were saved, we were told these things. But we realize that in this world, for as, as we see it now, we will not have the full understanding and the full benefit of it until that day that the Lord Jesus comes. So we were saved with a hope. What's that hope? That hope is that someday we will be saved from this world. Because this world, and now we can, now we can go back a, a verse, verse 19, for the creation was, waits an eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Why? For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him was subjected it in hope. You see, Adam and Eve got it, and they were supposed to rule over it under God and live under his blessing. They they. They rebelled against God and God took it away from them and God cursed this world because of them. And what do we find now? We find that we live in a world that is far from perfect. Does it ever occur to you that the world's not perfect? Or, or, or if you become so happy in this world that you think it's okay? If, if, if any Christian becomes happy living in this world, there's a huge problem with our hope. You, you only need to look around you to see that, yes, there are things like cancer. And it hits, and no one wants to know about it. There are droughts. You go barefoot out there, you step into thorns and thistles. You're reminded of the fact that this world is under curse. You don't need to be wise and you don't need rocket science to work out that this world is a broken place. And therefore, 
when we see the droughts and when we see the floods and when we see all these things and the hunger and the famine and, and the injustice in this world and, and even, even our own pain and, and even the things that we have to carry in our own heart and even these things, they give us that, that, that assurance that this world groans and this creation groans for something better. It's under pain. And we ourselves, then it says there, we are longing for the, for the uh, uh, revelation of the sons of God. We are also there and we, we, we look forward. We have been given the first fruit of the Holy Spirit. <coughs> As it says there in, in verse 23. The Holy Spirit came and he says, you are glorified. Why? Because God did that. You are justified. Why? Christ did that. That's all in past. And that's what the Holy Spirit comes and he teaches us. And he says, by faith you have become a son of God and an heir of, and an, an heir of the kingdom of God, a co-heirs of Jesus Christ. And, and that's what he says. And he's given us that first fruit. Another translation for the, or understanding of the first fruit is the first down payment. It's, a, it's, it's, it's the guarantee. It's the first payment to say that the final payment is on its way. You've got, the, you've got your name on it, and you've got that receipt to say your name is on it. The, the full payment is coming. Now that we have that, we look at creation, and we see that creation groans. It's a, it's a sinful place we live in. It's a curse. The curse of sin rests on this, on this creation. And we see that every day, and, 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 and we have a hope. That hope, it says, I'm glorified already, but I'm looking forward for the day of the return of Jesus Christ. What does the Spirit of God do between now and then? And maybe that's something that we don't understand. Or maybe we don't understand it. We need to start understanding it. Verse 26. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. In the weakness that we have in this world. It's an imperfect world. And we are not perfect ourselves. The Lord God knows that. And although we are justified and glorified and, and all these things that we know that is true, on the, on the way there, God has given us his Holy Spirit to help us. What does he do? Two things. He, he teaches us how to pray. Because we don't know what we ought to pray. We don't know what tomorrow brings. There are certain things that I'm, that I'm, that I would, it would be wonderful for me. I mean, just plain or worldly things. That I wouldn't mind to know what I should do about tomorrow. You, you got that too? Isn't that? Things that I, that I wonder in my mind, would that be the right thing if I did that now? I don't know. It would be wonderful to know that, but I don't know that. The Spirit of God does know these things. 
And he intercedes for us. He stands in for us at the throne of the Father. Sometimes we, we just ask the most stupid things because we don't know. But God who searches the heart of the Holy Spirit, he knows what the Holy Spirit means when the Holy Spirit stands between us and God and he intercedes for us and he prays for us. Isn't that a marvelous thought? You know, I think it's on Luke chapter 22 where it says, um, where Peter was in one of the moments that he was not so sure what to say. Peter was one of those. He sometimes spoke before he thought. And the Lord Jesus said to him, Peter, or actually he calls him Simon there. He said, Simon, the devil wanted to sift you like one would sift wheat. But I prayed for you. I interceded for you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He intercedes for us. Yes, we fall. Yes, we do, we do things that bring dishonor to the name of God. And what does the Spirit do? He stands before the throne of God and in the righteousness and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, he prays for us. That's too much for me. I, I, I just can't understand that. That the Holy Spirit would call my name at the throne of God and say, Father, watch over him. Watch over him, I pray for him. Because he belongs to Jesus. He prays that for you. And he teaches us how to pray. And now we would probably have, I hope, a bit of a better understanding of verse 28. What does verse 28 say? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. How is that possible? Because we've got a spirit interceding for us at the throne of God. That's why. In amongst all the things that happens with us in this life, things that we cannot understand, things that as we just uh, uh, sung that, that beautiful hymn, things that we, I, I don't understand the things that happen to me. I pray for this, I get something else. I, I want to do this, I do something else. I thought that was a good idea, it turned out to be a bad idea. And then as, as everything goes okay and I think life is good, something happens and I'm struck with with with. with tragedy in my life and, and I look at it and I think to myself Lord how does this fit together it just doesn't work out for me and the Bible says to us this morning here if you're a child of God don't be upset about it you won't understand it now but in the greatest scheme of God through the Lord Jesus Christ and through his love for you things work out for the good for you why? Because even when you don't know what to pray, even if you don't know what tomorrow brings, we know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we know what tomorrow brings. And therefore it works out for the best for you. You have to 
read the rest of that verse, of course. If you know, or, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. You see, God's got a plan in all of this. He's got a plan in all of this. And he's got a purpose with it. And he says, in this world, yes, we don't have it. In this creation, yes, we don't have it. Why? Because we've, we've messed it up through sin. But the good thing is we're going to get a new one. Sometime. We're going to get a new one. The good thing is up to that point when we will be we, we will get a new one and, and, and we will see the full revelation of our salvation in Christ Jesus up to that day. Trust God with your life. Because the Spirit of God is interceding for you, for me. And in the meantime, all things work together for the good. Let us pray. Our Father, we, we've just touched the surface of this marvelous paragraph in your Bible. It is now my prayer that you will give us, through the work, the continued work of your Spirit, a better understanding each day as we think about these things. Thank you. Father, for your, for your salvation in Christ Jesus, that we may be called sons of God. Thank you that you've already wrapped up in one parcel and put away for us our salvation in Christ Jesus. That we may know about it now and that we may know that your Spirit calling us by name, stand before you so that you would know his supplication for us. And help us then to say, as Paul starts this paragraph, the sufferings of this present time cannot be compared with the glory that awaits us. Oh Lord, we look forward to that new creation. We look forward to the day that we will, our hope will be, will be seen. Give us the grace to hold on and to hang on and to trust you till that day. In Jesus' name, amen.